0: We're in the middle of a series called The Ladder. It's all about giving and generosity. And because of that, I'd love to celebrate in an extra special way when I invite the host team to come forward and take up the offering right now. While they're doing that, one of the things that I mentioned last week is that uh, when we talk about generosity, we want to get our whole church involved. And sometimes people will say, uh, talk about how important our kids' ministry is, how important Gen Kids is, because it's the future of our church. But the truth is... That's the present of our church, you know. They are part of our church, and so one of the things that we wanted to do was to invite our kids into this message of generosity. And so, for the last uh, last week, this week, and next week, um, we are doing a challenge we're calling GK for Haiti. And uh, many of you know we've got a trip to Haiti coming up in just a couple of weeks. We've got a team that's already scheduled to go down there, but uh, we are asking the kids to take part in generosity, and so we've asked them to do some extra chores, to shovel some snow. Maybe they'll get to do that later today to you know, help mom and dad around the house, try to earn a little extra money, and then bring it in uh, in one of these three weeks, and then at the end of the three weeks, which is next week, we will take all that money, put it, pool it together, and we're going to buy some things for the school that we serve down in Haiti, and the kids get to decide what they're going to buy. So they get, a, they get to have a part in that. They get to contribute to that, and then they get to decide what we're going to buy. And so hopefully if you're a parent, if you've got uh, a kid and gin kids, you'll get one of these cards uh, on the way home, and you'll be able to see uh, what our kids are doing uh, to learn about generosity at the same time we are. Hey, I wonder how many of you on a fairly regular basis borrow something from your neighbor? Or loan something to a neighbor. Anybody? A few of you, you know, you borrow a lawnmower, you loan a snow shovel, uh, whatever you do. Well, uh, we know that that's a great way to share resources, right? It's a great way to, um, uh, you know, not have to buy every tool that you need, not have to buy – I mean, come on. They've always got a cup of sugar, right? But, but, and usually it's a really great way to share those resources, but sometimes it can go horribly wrong, And so I saw a story this week that I think illustrates that. I just want to read a little bit. This is from the Minneapolis Star Tribune in Minneapolis, Minnesota. It says this, Christopher James Musburger, 29, of St. Paul, Minnesota, was charged with terroristic threats after police were called to his apartment building. A 62-year-old woman – okay, now get this, okay, 62-year-old woman, 29-year-old man – a 62-year-old woman said she lent Musburger a book – and then saw it on the floor outside her door at the apartment. The woman said, asked Museberger, why didn't you just throw the book away instead of throwing it on the floor? Um, and she told police this question enraged Museberger, and he confronted her, his nose touching hers over a book. He told her, if you weren't so weak, I would seriously hurt you, the complaint said. He pushed her back a few steps with his chest puffed up like he was getting ready to fight her. She could tell he was intoxicated. <gasps> and told him she would call police if he continued to push her. Musburger sprinted inside his apartment and came out with a long sword in his hand. He unsheathed it and then apparently thought better of it and returned to his apartment after which she called police. The police report said his blood alcohol content was 0. .185, which is about two and a half times the legal limit in Minnesota. Later, at the Ramsey County Jail, an investigator asked Musburger, why are you in jail? And he said, because I'm an idiot. I think we can all agree with that. But this story... and. Probably some of you have some less dramatic examples. They they call into question, why don't we have a set of shared guidelines for borrowing other people's stuff? Like shouldn't there be some societal rules about how we borrow and how we loan? Well, I found this week that one blogger has come up with some. He calls them the eight simple rules of sharing. And And I like this. It includes such common sense suggestions as balance what you take with what you give. That makes sense, right? If you're going to borrow from a neighbor, you need to be willing to lend. Uh, always ask before borrowing. That seems to make common sense. Uh, set a time and date for returning. I'll bring it back when I'm done. I'll bring it back after this is over. And then this is my favorite return items in the same or better condition that you receive them. I love that, don't you? I mean, that's just common sense, right? If you're going to borrow something from someone else, you want to bring it back in the same condition or better condition uh, than, you ha- than, you- than it was when you found it. Now, here's why this is relevant to what I want to share today, all right? We're going to start this morning in Leviticus 27.30. And Leviticus 27.30 says this, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. So a tenth of what we produce, what we earn, What we win, what we're given, what we receive as a gift, what we profit, a tenth of that belongs to the Lord. So we've got a responsibility to take care of it, right? Well, we're in this series called The Ladder, and we're talking all about how the ladder can take us to places that God wants us to go that we can't possibly get on our own. And last week, I climbed up on the ladder, and then somebody told me after the service that um, OSHA has said that the average height where you can fall and have a 50% chance of dying is six feet. And so I decided this week, I'm just going to look at the ladder. I'm not going to climb up on it. But what we've talked about is that the ladder has rungs because it's easier to get where you're going, especially if you're going to new heights, right, if you take it one step at a time. And so last week, uh, we talked about the first principle of generosity, the first step on that ladder, and that first principle was this. Everything we have, it all comes from God, right? Generosity principle number one, it all comes from God. And so this week, I want to talk about taking that second step on the ladder. And the one I want to cover today is just as important. It's the principle of the tithe, and it says this, generosity principle number two. This is in your notes if you want to write this down. The first tenth belongs to God. That's exactly what this verse from Leviticus says. A tithe of everything from the land belongs to the Lord. It's holy to the Lord. It's holy to him. It means it's set apart. Right? It's important, much more so than that book you borrowed or that snow shovel you loaned your neighbor. It belongs to the Lord, and it's holy to him. And so last week, we challenged people in this room that weren't already giving something to Genesis Church to take that first step up the ladder, to become what we call a priority giver, right? to start giving something every pay period. It means you're making your relationship with God a priority, and as you do that, then you make giving financially to his work and his ministry and his causes, you make that a priority too. Well, so today I want to challenge another group. And the group in this room I want to challenge today is those of you who are already giving something on a regular basis. I want to challenge you to take the second step up the ladder, to move up a step, to become what we call being, step two, is a proportional giver. A proportional giver. Now, the meaning of this is very simple. It means you give a proportion of your income. And what I want to do this morning is hopefully in a a bold but loving way, is to challenge you that a tenth or a tithe, a tenth, is a good, meaningful, biblical place to start. And I want to tell you this morning that if you're new to church, I'm going to use the word tithe a lot, and uh, that's possibly a word you don't hear anywhere else other than church, all right? But it's a very simple word, and and in fact, it simply means a tenth. The word tithe means a tenth. Now, here's how this works practically in your life, all right? Let's say you get ten of these. You work Uh, You earn, you win the lottery, you, uh, you know, uh, sell a stock, whatever it is. You get 10 of these, you take the, you take one of them and you return that to God because it belongs to the Lord, right? You give a 10th to God. So if you receive a windfall somehow, whatever you do, if you've profited, you've earned, okay, you do that. In fact, let me just side note, Uh, if you are 30 years old or under, I want to talk to you for a minute, the best 10 second plan for financial freedom i've ever heard is this this is not scriptural this is not biblical this is just uncle steve talking to you all right if you are 30 or under and you want to be financially secure for the rest of your life here's what you do you get 10 of these one goes to god one gets saved for your future self and you use these eight to live on simple plan right that's what you do now which one of these 10 go to the lord who remembers from last week The first one, right? You guys are good. The first one goes to the Lord. Now, how do you know which one is the first one? It is the first one you spend, right? It's the first one you give. Now, that's all simple, right? Until you start dealing with this. You start getting 10 of these. These are $10 bills. I'm telling you, your pastor is loaded. (laughs) You get 10 of these. It gets a little tougher when you start Tithing one of these, right? Because now it's ten dollars or twenty dollars. Or does anybody have a ten hundreds I can borrow? Anyone? <laughs> I uh, I was going to do that illustration, but my wife wouldn't let me have that much money. So, um, 10 tens it is. It gets a little tougher, doesn't it? And that's why you want to start. Uh, it's best to start when you're not making very much money. You start giving a tenth. You think I can't afford? Well, just wait. Wait later in your career when you're making a lot more. It's going to be a lot harder to start returning a tithe now. That's why it's called becoming a proportional giver, because some of you can't imagine, for instance, giving $1,000 at a time. But for some of you, $1,000 is pocket change, right? You carry that much with you uh, when you go to a restaurant on Saturday night. That's why it's called becoming a proportional giver. We all return the same proportion. In fact, that's what the tithe is all about. This is why it's such a beautiful principle, because it's not about equal gifts. It's about equal sacrifice, That when we return a tithe, we all sacrifice the same proportion of our income. This is what time and time again in Scripture the Lord calls for, equal sacrifice. Uh, Look at Luke uh, chapter 21, verse 1 through 4. They're in the temple, and it says, As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury, He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. If you can imagine, all these people, remember last week we talked about the very first church in Acts, and now people would bring the money to the front, set it at the feet of the teacher. That's what's going on here. They're bringing it to the temple. They're putting money in the treasury. All these rich people are coming up. They're getting out their ten tens and they're making a big show of putting those in the offering. And then here comes this woman, and she's got two pennies in her hand. And she drops him in the offering. That's what's going on. Jesus says, verse 3, Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Not equal gifts, equal sacrifice. So why is a tenth the right sacrifice? Now, to understand that, we need to understand where the tithe begins. So if you have your Bibles, open them to Genesis chapter 14. Uh, This part of the book of Genesis tells the story of Abraham. Uh, Abraham was a great man, a faithful man, and because of his faithfulness, we see throughout Genesis that God blessed him very richly. Uh, One day, God called Abraham to relocate his family to a new place, uh, a land called Canaan, and God promised Abraham that this land would belong to him and to his descendants forever. This is a promise that God made to Abraham, but there was an opposition. Anybody in here ever face Opposition. Of course you do, right? We all face opposition. Abraham faced some opposition just like you and I do. See, here's the thing. If you live for God, expect opposition. You should expect that everything's not going to go well. On, On this occasion, what happened is a foreign army kidnapped Abraham's nephew. And in response, Abraham organized this big group of armed men to go in and free him in a daring nighttime raid, like something right out of American Sniper. Abraham takes this group to go rescue these men and not not only managed to free the nephew, but in the process, they manage to get away with large amounts of uh, money and valuables. If you think the Bible's boring, you're just not reading it right, okay? This is as good as any movie you'll see. Well, Abraham is on his way home from battle, and this mysterious man named Melchizedek appears out of nowhere. Now, he's a complete unknown. Most of us have never heard of him before. In fact, even if you've read the Bible all the way through, you, you may have missed Melchizedek. Now, he's not, it doesn't appear very often, um, and, but the Bible said he was a priest of the Most High God. And so that means that, you know, to Abraham, to others, he represented the Lord. The, king, or the Bible also says that he was the king of Salem. Well, that just makes him a little bit more mysterious because no one today really knows where Salem was. It could be, some scholars think, that Salem was what we now know as Jerusalem, but nobody knows for sure. Uh, but we know he must have been a pretty great priest because in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews calls Jesus a priest on the order of Melchizedek. Now we don't know much about him, but we know that must make him a pretty great priest. So this mysterious Melchizedek comes out to Abraham on his way home from battle and says this in Genesis 14, 19. It says, Blessed be Abram. By God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. So Melchizedek is reminding Abraham, or Abram as it says here, he's reminding him, hey, you're blessed. You know, the Lord is looking out for you. He has delivered victory into your hands, and he has even greater plans for your life. And then look at how Abraham responds. The Bible says this. Then Abram. Gave him a tenth of everything. Again, I mean, we don't know much about this Melchizedek or who he's come from or where he went after this, but we do know he was a priest of God, that Abraham recognized him as such, and so to Abraham he was God's representative. And, and so after his blessing, Abraham gave him a tenth of everything that they had just earned, a tenth of the victory that God blessed him with. Let me ask you something this morning Do you have victory in Christ? Like if you're here today, you've accepted Jesus as the Lord of your life. He has given you a great victory. In fact, Scripture tells us that uh, as soon as you were saved, there were as many as 33 things that happened to you right away. Like when you accepted Jesus, there are about 33 things that Scripture tells us happened to you. They include things like that you're forgiven. Immediately you're forgiven. You become a child of God and that you're reconciled to him. That's three of those 33 things. You can be really joyful about that. Well, Abraham was so overwhelmed by the triumph that God gave him that in response to that, he couldn't help but return a tenth of everything that he had earned. This is the first example recorded in Scripture of the tithe. And after this point, everything we read, Scripture is pretty clear that a tenth belongs to God. You know, that word tithe, which means tenth, is used 29 times in the Bible. And every time, it's used in the context of returning to God something that already belongs to him. So notice I'm being very careful here. I'm not saying anything about giving a tithe because you can't give a tithe. I've heard people say that before, but you can't really give a tithe because it's not yours to begin with. That would be like me giving my neighbor his snow shovel back, right? I can't do that. It's already his to begin with. All I can do is return it. Leviticus 27.30 says a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. And I want to make this clear to you because I know this comes up every time we teach about tithing. Many people will argue, well, the tithe is Old Testament stuff. It's, it's the Old Testament law, and we're not under the law anymore. And, but look at this verse. It's not law. A tithe of everything from the land belongs to the Lord. It's not telling you to do something. In fact, the tithe goes way back before the law, right? It goes back to Abraham. The law wasn't given until the book of Exodus to Moses. And besides, the law says you should You, sh- you should have to do something. Uh, I would say the tithe isn't a law. It's a principle. The tithe isn't a law. It's a principle. What's the difference between a law and a principle? Well, the law says you must do. A principle says this is true. The law says you must do, principle says this is true. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. That's a principle, right? It doesn't change when Jesus comes along. God's mercies are new every morning. That's a principle of God. It's true. It's true no matter what happens. A tithe, a tenth, belongs to the Lord. That doesn't change just because we have the New Testament. It's a principle of God. The, The law says you must do. A principle says this is true. Now, in fact, if you want to throw that argument out that when Jesus came along, he changed everything, so we're not under the law anymore, that's true. all right. But be careful with this argument because in every case where Jesus clarified the law or responded to the law, what we see is he actually raises the bar, right? And so the law says don't murder, but Jesus says if you hate your brother, you've as much as murdered. The law says don't commit adultery, but Jesus says if you look at another woman with lust in her eyes, well, you've basically committed adultery. Jesus even affirmed the tithe. We see that in Matthew 23. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Great way to start addressing somebody, right? You want to pay attention? You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter, right? You should have practiced all of those things that Jesus said without neglecting the former, Right? So Jesus instructs the Pharisees to continue to tithe, but to do it with the right heart. God doesn't want anyone to give out of guilt or obligation, but to give in a way that demonstrates mercy and faithfulness and justice. Just like then, Jesus invites us today to give with the right heart. In fact, I believe the way that Jesus raised the bar in every area really opens the door to us for us to even greater giving. And we're going to talk more about that next week. So are we free from the Old Testament law? Absolutely. Praise God for that. Hallelujah. But can we use that as an excuse to live any way we want in any area of our life? Well, no way. Not if we claim to be following Jesus. When it comes to the way we live, we all have a choice. We talked about this a few weeks ago. It's true with your money too. You, you can choose to live your way or you can choose to live God's way. And I'm confident that even when it comes to money and our finances, that God has laid out a plan for us. And that plan has everything to do with climbing the ladder of generosity and becoming more and more generous. And and, and the, the, the step where you and me, if we're Christians, we just make it part of our lives to regularly return a tenth of our income to God is the step that we're talking about. The life that God has laid out for us has everything to do with getting towards the top of that ladder. But why? Why why does God call us to live like this? Well, I mean, like we talked about last week, I think that um, God knew, Jesus knew, that money and possessions, this area, would be a major obstacle for many of us for following him with our whole hearts. That's a big area for a lot of us, and quite honestly, uh, that, that God knows that many of us have a nerve that runs directly from our heart to our wallet. Right, guys? When we take that thing out, it hurts a little bit. Some of you, I can hear your wallets creak when you open them up because it's been so long since you've done that, right? It hurts a little bit. So you can see how it takes faith, right? It takes trust to live like this. And so how are we responding to this as a, as a church? How are we responding? Uh, the church universal, most research shows us that somewhere between 2 and 7% of people who are born-again Christians tithe, 2 and 7%. Well, I certainly don't know what everybody here makes, <laughs> And I don't know what everybody here gives. I, I do estimate that it's about the same for Genesis Church. Somewhere between 2 and 7% of us return a tithe. Why? Why is that the case? Well, if Jesus talked about it so much, it's clearly an issue for many of us. It's an important part of our spiritual journey. Why do so few people decide to tithe? Well, I think some people tend to ignore it just like we can ignore teaching in other areas of our lives, right? We can ignore teaching about lust and adultery. We can ignore teaching about using our words properly. We can just as easily ignore teaching about returning a tithe. Uh, Some people have never received biblical teaching about what it means to tithe and, and what that does for us spiritually. For many, as we said last week, for many people it's fear. I've got this fear that if I return a tenth of my money to God, I don't know that I can live on the other 90%. I don't know that I can live on those $9 instead of that, those $10. Um, and so what I want to do for the next few minutes is just take a couple minutes and address some of the, the most, I think, common objections I hear to the tithe. Now, if you currently don't tithe, there's a good chance that I'll hit your reason in this list. Number one is this. These aren't in your notes, just uh, some things that we've heard over the last couple of years. Number one, I need to save before I can give. I mean, I think that makes sense to most people, uh, at least logically. I think it's good and smart and even biblical to save money. That's why we talked about, you know, if you're a young person, you get 10 of these. The first one goes to God. The second one goes to the future you, right? I'm saving this for my future to make sure that I've got a secure future. But that's a me first. Saving before giving is a me first attitude. It is a bottom of the ladder living. It's saying that, God, my plan is better than your plan, so I'm not going to take a step on the ladder, right? Reason number two is um, well, I give in other ways. I give my time. You know, I tithe my time. Uh, and we're all called to give some of our time to the work that God is doing in the world, to, to the work that our church is doing. And if, if you believe that, there's lots of places for you to serve around here. I, I love that you want to do that. We'd love to have you teaching gin Kids. Uh, we'd love to have you... Um, you know, serve on our host team out by the doors or out in the parking lot when it's cold, helping people find a parking place. We, We need that. We love that. There are always opportunities to do that. But let me ask you, if that's your reason, are you giving 17 hours a week serving in the kingdom of God? Because that's a tenth of your time. But even then, I haven't really read anywhere in scripture where it says that it's okay to give a tenth of your time. Honestly, he expects all of that. The, the Apostle Paul, who wrote about half of the New Testament, said it this way. He said, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it for the Lord Jesus Christ. The, the 10% of your time was never an option. We don't get to choose to give time instead of money. Reason number three, uh, when it comes to church, I don't trust how the money's being spent. Now, I know this is where it can get a little sticky, and we, we talked about this a little bit last week. If you've been part of a church before where money wasn't handled carefully or there was outright fraud, um, you have every right to mistrust. But if that's the only thing that's keeping you from giving here at Genesis, would you consider doing something about that? We've got a great financial team here, uh, some very strict and honestly very cumbersome checks in place to make sure that the money you entrust us with is spent wisely. And, and Robin Lee, our director of operations, is sitting right over here. She knows more about the money at this church than all of the rest of us combined. I know that she'd love to talk to you about how we spend and how we um, are good stewards of the money that you give every week. I want you to know that our team can be trusted. And then after that, if you meet with one of us and you still say, you know what, I don't agree with the way the church is using the money, I just want to say to you in love, please go find a church where you can trust the way it's being spent. This is too important an area of your spiritual life to let it be stopped because there's some people that you don't really agree with or believe in or trust. There are lots of great churches around. Don't let a lack of trust of this church or any questions about this church stand in the way of how God has called you to live your life. One more thing about that, and then I'll move on because this comes up um, occasionally. If you haven't trusted any church you've ever been to, then there's only one common denominator there, and it's you. And and I hope um, the Lord doesn't want you living in a state of fear or doubt. And if that's you, I hope you'll talk to somebody about that. So uh, reason number three, I don't trust the church. Reason number four, I'd love to give, but my spouse won't let me. Um, I get that. I understand. I'm fortunately – I'm very fortunate. We are very lucky that we're on the same page with giving. Um, I understand that, though, and I believe that God does too. And, and unity is important in every marriage. You know, Marriage is about trust. If you want to give but your spouse doesn't, I realize you don't have very many options at this point. You need to honor your partner. You need to honor your husband or your wife. Just keep inviting him. Just keep inviting her, and you can pray for your spouse. Just keep loving them and praying for them and praying for God to change their heart. Uh, Reason number five, I give to other causes. Doesn't this count? Well, it all counts. I mean, every dollar we give, every dollar we return helps in generosity in every form, helps in breaking the hold that money can have on us. Uh, And I used to believe that there was nothing in Scripture that required us to give to our local church. And for many years, I believed that as long as we were returning a tithe back to the work of God, that we didn't have to give to our local church. But after a lot of study on this, a lot of um, writing and praying and journaling, and a lot of talking to other pastors, what I found is that my conclusion is that I believe the Lord wants us to invest first in our local church. And here's here's why. Uh, Malachi 3.10 says this. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse... This is God speaking through Malachi, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. God says, bring the whole tithe into where? Into the storehouse. Now, why? So that there may be food in my house. In the Old Testament times, the storehouse referred to the temple of God. Now, today, that would be the church. The food that this verse refers to is the ministry of the temple, the ongoing work of the priest and the people in the temple, the work that God is doing on earth through his church. The tithe is specifically uh, intended to infuse the temple or infuse the local church so that God's kingdom can continue to expand. And so that's why I believe you need to be giving to the local church. Reason number six, I can't afford to tithe. I would say to this, many people can't afford to give because they're not already giving. Uh, If we give our tithe to God first, I believe he will bless us so we can pay our debts on earth. Malachi 3.10 says, test me. It's the only place I know in scripture where God tells us to test him. He says, see if I don't throw open the floodgates of heaven so there won't be so much blessing, you won't be able to contain it. Now, I'm not saying that it's easy to give. All right. I'm not saying that God gives financial blessing to anyone who returns the tithe. So don't, don't hear that. What I'm saying is this. It is easier, it is much easier to live on 90% of your income inside the will of God than to live on 100% of it outside the will of God. And, And I can tell you that from experience. And if you're here today and affordability is one of the reasons you're not tithing, I want to assure you that we don't want to just be a church that teaches about giving, as important as it is for us to hear. We want to be a church that provides resources to help you as well. And that's why we're offering a program called Financial Peace University. Many of you have heard that. It's starting, it's one of our groups. It's starting next Sunday night at our Noblesville campus, uh, February 8th. Uh, ben and Bethann Krauss, Ben is our. Um, Campus pastor at Noblesville. He and his wife are going to be teaching that. And and a ton of people at our church have been through this program. We've been doing this for years. Uh, My wife and I have done uh, some of Dave Ramsey's teaching, and we love it. Uh, If you've never been through something like FPU before, I'd encourage you to check it out. I promise you, you won't regret it. You can sign up on your connection card or online at the group's part, uh, the group's. kiosk right outside this door you know when when I was finding my way back to God I, I didn't give or I gave sporadically and then I heard um, just like you're hearing now pastor get up and talk about this and he talked about tithing but then he also said that because God loves a cheerful giver and I thought oh good I'm off the hook I don't have to tithe because I can't tithe and be cheerful about it and God wants me to be cheerful about that and then see I misunderstood because I thought it must be okay for me to give less than a tithe and as long as I was cheerful right Because I can't be cheerful about giving 10%. God wants me to be more cheerful. That's what I got out of that verse. Well, that's not what it means. Probably took me five or six years to reach that conclusion um, and to reach a tithe after we started giving. But here's what happened. The more money we gave to the church, the more I made The more I gave, the more financially secure we came. Now, I'm not saying this will happen to you. I'm not saying God promises or the Bible says or this is written in Scripture that if you give, God's going to bless you financially because that is not written. I want you to hear. It is not written in Scripture that you will be blessed financially if you give to the Lord. I'm just telling you my story, right? And my story is the more we gave, the more was returned to us. And we decided probably 15 years ago now to test God, and he has opened up the floodgates of heaven to pour blessings in our life. He has blown the doors off heaven for us. That's just my story, but I can tell you there are a lot of them like it in this church. In fact, I want to tell you that not only do my wife and I tithe to this church, but our whole staff at this campus does. In fact, um, just running the numbers last week, we were sending out giving statements. I just thought, I'm going to check up on the people that work for me. And so I looked, and our four staff at this campus, all four of us are in the top 50 givers at the Carmel campus. And uh, some of us don't make very much money. But I believe if you could really take the faith to take the next step, if you would begin tithing and really living your life for God in every area, including your finances, that you would climb the ladder and take hold of the life that is truly life. So here's my challenge today. I wonder if you would be willing to put God to the test. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you're on this step on the ladder where you're consistently giving something but you're not returning a tithe, would you consider between now and Easter deciding to return a tithe, a tenth of your income to the work? Now, God didn't say test me for nine weeks. All right, He said test me in this. But just for a few weeks, would you be willing to make that commitment and see what God does in your life? Just for a few weeks, become an obedient, proportional, put God to the test kind of giver. Start today. Don't wait. Don't put it off. Uh, and next week, we're going to give each and every person in here a chance to make a commitment to take that next step on the ladder. Um, but you don't have to wait till that week. You can do it now. Would you be praying this week about what step God would have you take in your giving? Now, one of the things I love about my investment in Genesis Church is getting to see the life change uh, that's happening here. And I get to see that all the time. You guys maybe don't get to see it except on Sundays. Um, and so one of the things we've tried to do over the course of the series is we want to make a commitment to showing you some of the things that the Lord is doing through this church. As we talked about last week when we give to the church, we get to join God in the redemptive work he's doing right here in central Indiana and throughout the world. And this morning, I want to just share with you a few things that the Lord did in our church last year in 2014 and then tell one story of a man who's finding his way back to God here at Genesis Church. Take a look at this.
1: 2014 was a great year for Genesis Church. Uh, We saw Jesus do many wonderful things using you, the church, as his hands and feet. As a church, you gave over $182,000 in outreach efforts in 2014. In March, we did a drive called On Behalf of the Hungry, which yielded over 400 bags of food uh, to help local ministries, and we packed together 60,000 meals to help feed the hungry around the world. We sent two different teams to Haiti with 31 people who had the opportunity to go show love and compassion to our friends. In December, we collected 2,000 items to help clothe and warm the homeless in downtown Indianapolis. Our student ministry hosted many fun events, but more importantly, we saw our students growing in their relationship with Jesus and with others. We've heard numbers of stories of kids and what they're learning through Gen Kids, uh, learning about Jesus, and many of you have contributed your time as you've invested in the great things happening in them. We hosted a Spring Hill Day Camp for the first time at our Noblesville campus. Uh, 106 kids came and had a blast learning about Jesus. And of those kids, 25 of them were unchurched and came by invitation through our scholarship program. We saw God bring healing and strength and conviction and wholeness as we studied his word and through the different teaching series talking about things like our identity in Christ and making our relationship with Jesus a priority. A lot of that growth happened in the context of our connection groups where many people were able to talk more, discuss, and grow in their relationships with each other. In 2014 we celebrated the 350 plus ministry team volunteers that make Genesis Church happen. In addition to the spiritual growth we've seen, we're excited to see that our Sunday attendance has pushed to and even passed 1,000 on several occasions. One of the most exciting things that we saw in 2014 was how many of you reached out and shared the love of Jesus with your neighbors, coworkers, and friends. Many of the people who were baptized in 2014 were invited by someone who had loved them and prayed for them. We were thrilled to baptize 77 people in 2014, and we celebrated and gave all of the praise to God and His work. As we look back on all these great moments and all of these great numbers, uh, we're reminded why every number matters. Uh, Every number has a name. Every name has a story, and every story, every person matters to God. We want to share one of those great stories with you.
2: I grew up in church. My dad was a pastor. Um, He's been a pastor since um, I was born. Um, Grew up on the West Coast and then moved around a lot. Um, And really saw um, the church from a bunch of different angles and kind of just did the church thing growing up. I started to rebel so much against my dad's faith and trying to figure out what my own faith was. Um, And I tried so hard to make it into something that it really wasn't. And that led to... A lot of poor decisions and a lot of selfishness. Um, I began to worship myself um, more than I worshiped the Lord my worship and my um, me glorifying God kind of just became inauthentic and fake and then I started to started to read um, the story of Jacob and how he was traveling and he set his um, head on the stones to um, sleep and once he woke up um, it says that he was afraid and he was amazed because the Lord was with him and he was around him through everything and he still loved him and um, that's when my heart changed for real Um, I knew that the Lord was with me and that he was holding my hand through everything that I was doing every time that I um, blasted his name and told him that he wasn't my father and that he wasn't real Um, he was with me I started to go to Genesis again Um, so I went to Genesis all throughout my time at Anderson but this is really when I knew that I was supposed to serve and I knew that I was supposed to serve somebody that wasn't myself and to worship the Lord in that and to make my service worship and um, Genesis really did help me find my way back to God Um, I felt like I needed to get baptized when I was older. But in my dad's church, I just didn't want to be that church kid who clearly messed up. Um, And that shame would always come over me and um, guide my decisions more than um, I would let the Lord guide my decision. And what really sparked it was the last time that Paul asked about people wanting to be baptized. And he said, you just need to make this decision for yourself and you need to do it and so that night I was sitting in my bed on my laptop and I signed up for a baptism slot and I had this overwhelming peace um, over my spirit and I knew that it was the right decision I knew that that's the next step that the Lord needed me to do and I woke up and I knew that today was the day that I was making my salvation my salvation. I really felt like the Lord was holding me, that he was hugging me and giving me a full embrace, and then coming up out of the water feeling completely new and hearing the church just rejoice. That (laughs) it's just such an amazing experience. I'm so, so excited that the Lord pulled me out of my pit and that I get to be a part of the movement of what the Lord wants to do and His work for His kingdom.